Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. All right, we're talking about this series. I love it. The most exciting idea on earth is the church. I think that could be laughable or a mocked kind of idea today by, by many in society. Like, you've got to be kidding me, the church? You think the church is the most exciting? And absolutely I do. When the church looks like Jesus and is emulating him and his voice, his heart, there's nothing more powerful. There's no greater force on this planet than that church, the church that he intended, the church that he started. So I want to just kick off here with a couple of reasons I believe people struggle to actually participate in the most exciting idea on earth. And the first relates to outsiders. I believe outsiders struggle to become part of the church, particularly in America, when churches don't represent God's love. And I think that's pretty obvious. But I, I believe insiders really struggle to, to fully participate in the, the most exciting idea on earth because of this chronic condition by many who believe and many who follow Jesus in still trying to earn his favor in some way. So I was trying to think of an example from my life that I could use just a mess up or a misstep or something ugly that would help connect the dots to, to how we do this, how we find ourselves just trying to earn God's favor. And so the, the, the example of many, <laughs> many that I could choose from was from grad school. When I was in graduate school, I was in seminary. Seminary is school for those who are studying to become pastors. Uh, I actually, for the first time in my life, had a pretty decent GPA, and it started to matter to me. Like, wow, this feels pretty good. My GPA is, is, is high. And I ran into some trouble. It, 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 my high GPA was being jeopardized by a theology class. <laughs> And Dr. Williams was a brilliant man. He'd written a three-part volume that we studied over three semesters from beginning to end of Scripture, the theology of God, the, the study, the science of, of who God is, or the study of who God is. And <clears throat> it was dense, and his final exams were really extensive. And because of that, they were open book, which adds some irony to this whole crazy story. And I was just concerned with a couple of sections, like, I don't know that I'm going to do well, even with the book open. And a buddy of mine and I in the library decided that we would write some answers in the inside margin of our book just to help us with this final exam. And here I am huh, uh, in, graduate, in seminary. Studying to become a pastor in a theology class, which is the study of God. And for the first time in my life, I cheated in school, and I did it twice. We did it two semesters in a row. And so I graduated and came back to Northern Virginia to someday start a church. And I was here excited to start a church or to be part of that while also carrying this secret that only God and I knew. Something that I was hiding and something that had me for a couple of years until I finally owned it and told someone. 
which is where I really found freedom and started to really relax. And I got into this pattern as a very young pastor of, for the first time in my life, trying to earn God's favor. Trying to re-earn God's favor. And so this takes me to my love of trees. <laughs> I'm kind of a nerd. My family makes fun of me of this. I've got a couple of interesting tree projects. And one is we went as a family to Yosemite four or five years ago for a couple days and just stood around and under the giant sequoias. And it's one of my favorite trees. And so two years ago, my birthday, Mackenzie surprised me with a little sapling. We have a picture of it here. And I planted it in a pretty big pot and I'd researched how to plant, you know, a, a baby sequoia. And it's the, the oldest, this is the oldest, longest living organism on earth. And it's the largest organism on earth, a giant sequoia. And to stand at Yosemite or Muir Woods or any of these parks and look at a tree that is 3,100 years old. To think this tree was standing here 1,100 years before Jesus walked the earth. It's just a, it's a crazy experience for me, and I just love it. And so Mackenzie gave me this. And so I planted it in this pot, and it spent that winter inside, outside of the sun. And the next July, it looked like this. So it grew indoors out of the sunlight fast. Uh, this was July 2020. Uh, July 5th, 2021, it looked like this. It reached exactly 24 inches. And then this past May 24th, I'm a nerd for even knowing these dates, but uh, it hit three feet, 36-inch mark. So it's growing like crazy. And the expert out at Yosemite told me that if I water it and keep it in sun, by next year it may grow six feet by next year, by next, an, an additional six feet. Which, so anyway, I'm a tree nerd. And it's, it's interesting to me that God begins revealing his heart for us, for humans, his plan for us, his relationship to us through trees. In Genesis, as part of the creation story. So I want to go to Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Then the, uh, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now that's a very simple statement there. It just reads really casually in English, but this is a continuation of the good language that's used six times by God in chapter one. Creation was so good. Uh, the, the creatures that filled the seas, it was so good, God says. And that word good means perfect without flaw, beautiful in every way. And he just repeats this throughout chapter one about creation. It's so good. It's so good. Human beings are made and they are so good, flawless and perfect in every way. And then we come to the next chapter. And we have this sentence that means God created trees that were pleasing. Imagine in our, in our worldview, this would be like looking at palm trees next to aqua green blue water on some island. Or some tropical, lush tropical scene next to a waterfall or something. You know that feeling that you get like, ooh, that looks like paradise? This is what God's describing in this sentence. He made trees 
that were pleasing to humans and good for food. Now, many people who are people of faith, who actually trust God in some way, actually believe that the tree of life was given to us after, given to us to eat after we obey God, or after we fulfill some kind of commitment to God, then, then he makes the tree of life accessible to eat. But that's not what we read here. And this is really important for where we're going with guilt and trying to earn God's favor. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. Now we're going to skip ahead here to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Then, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the beautiful, amazing, pleasing trees that we've already read about in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is a context here of choice. If, if it's easy for you to read this, or you understand kind of this idea, yeah, there were these two trees, one was good, it was the tree of life, and I'm not sure what the other one was, but it was this rule, here goes the God of rules, this is what a lot of us have been taught in church, God has all these rules, and as long as we're obeying rule after rule after rule, somehow it appeases his wrath and allows us into the good place someday. That's not actually what's happening. God is presenting this choice so as to distinguish us from the animal kingdom. To show that we are not automatically programmed in our DNA to just do the instinctive, what, what, what a butterfly just instinctively does. What giraffes instinctively do. How the planets just orbit and follow the programming of God. There's something different about this creature called human being. And the difference is that we have the ability to choose God's way, his timing, his plan, his heart, or our own. And so God presents this opportunity, this choice that will reveal the human heart through the, these two trees. And by the way, this might warp your thinking here a little bit or be a, a mind bender, but the more you study this, and I don't have time to deep dive into this really today, but the tree of life was, the, was a physical representation of Jesus. Jesus actually walked in the garden. The presence of God walked in the garden with humans. And yet, <clears throat> life, we're taught, we're taught by Paul in many places in the New Testament, life only comes from the creator Jesus, from the source of life. The tree of life actually represented the life that is only found in Jesus. So we have this choice to sustain life, whole life, perfect life, or <clears throat> the choice that wreaks havoc. Now, how many have ever been confused by this idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Does it, has that ever like perplexed you? Like, okay, what's wrong with... It, it sounds like there's something wrong with knowing about good... And about bad, and I just don't get it. And for the longest time growing up in church, this always confused me. Like, I don't understand. Why is it? So did they not, did they not know? How, how do they not, how do they choose rightly if they don't know that there's good and bad? How do they understand that there's two trees? And that just always confused me. And if you're like me, anybody 
relate to that? Yeah, sort of? Okay. Some of that comes down to the translation. The, the Hebrew word, the Genesis word, the original word for knowledge, is not exactly what knowledge means in English. This is not an intellectual knowledge. That if you eat of this other tree, then you will cognitively understand that there's a difference between good and bad. That's not what this word means. This word, the original word here for knowledge means intimate, relational, experiential. That if you eat of this tree, you will be of a knowledge that's intimate, experiencing what it is to control or determine what's good or bad. This is the, the distinction between I'm going to eat of the tree of life, the source that sustains all the beauty and all of my potential and everything I was made for, or there's a choice that wreaks havoc, and it wreaks havoc by making me intimately aware with the, the concept of I will now choose what's right and wrong. I will choose what's good and evil. I will step into a circumstance, and I'll be the one to say, no, this is okay, or no, that, that deserves judgment. Or he should be treated this way. Or, does that make sense? This is what the knowledge of good and evil was. It was humans choosing to be in control of what is determined to be good or bad. An example, a quick example. We could use hundreds of examples. We could maybe use examples from our own lives this week. Or maybe some lines that we're, we're flirting with that can get us into trouble or wreak that internal havoc that leave us feeling that we've got to somehow earn, our, earn God's favor back, earn our way back to God. One example from history is slavery. That humans somehow decided, chose, determined that owning, a human being owning another human being was somehow right or good. This is just a simple, one simple example from many. One more quick note here is, when you eat of it, God says, when you eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will certainly die. There's a problem in reading this. A lot of people who are familiar with the story believe that what God says here, or what God's implying is, if you eat of it, I will punish you, or I will kill you. God does not say that. <clears throat> God doesn't say, he doesn't even use the word punish. This isn't even a punish context here. If you will eat of it, if you eat of this tree, I will punish you. It says, <clears throat> actually, if you eat of this tree, you will die. This is about choice where the supreme object of God's creation, human beings, different from any, we're the only creature in the universe that was made in the image of God, made to reflect the good of God. The character of God, the love of God, the self-sacrificing nature of God, the creativity of God. We're it. We're the only creature designed in his image to represent, to emulate him. And to be that creature, we have choice. You can choose this and live, and live forever, or you can, you can choose your own control, your own determination of what's right and wrong. And utter chaos and havoc, anxieties and depression, envy, 
never feeling good enough, always trying to earn back to mom and dad or impress. I, I know adults today that are still trying to win the favor of mom and dad even years after they've passed. It's the craziest thing about the human psyche and the emotional state of human beings who were designed to emulate God. And when we take so that we're in control, we determine good and evil. It just leaves devastation in, in our wake. God doesn't kill. He doesn't destroy. God doesn't wreak havoc. God did not say, I will kill you. He says, it will kill you. It's interesting that we also kind of struggle. I've, I've noticed this in, in conversations whenever this comes up or this kind of picture comes up. You know, when people, people so often want to talk to me, I want to have faith. I want to believe the message of Dulles. I, I feel love there. People it just seem so loving. But the God of the Old Testament, this is a common conversation. He seems angry. There's violence. Or he kicked us out. He, he just had no mercy. He just kicked us out of the garden. And we're not going to take the time to actually read those verses, but that's part of what unfolds here is that God removes human beings from the place where the tree of life is. It's just interesting that it's actually an act of mercy. Where God, knowing that the physical representation on earth of Jesus and Jesus' love and his life forever was this tree of life, that if we, in our destruction... In our inner chaos and taking control, aid of that tree, we would, essentially what's implied is we would live this perpetual destruction. We would live this never-ending humans in control and destroying things. And so it was God's mercy that moved us out of the garden. I want to read one more time verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow. Out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life. These were trees that were included in the large population of trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was not a gift. And <clears throat> people who struggle to accept the love of Jesus and what he's done for us. What he took onto the cross for us, from us. People who struggle with feeling... but. But there's this thing that I did. There's this thing that happened. This choice that I've made. There's this habit in my life. Inevitably, our conversations at coffee, and in whatever context, come back to this needing to earn God's love, needing to win God's love. And I, I just, I, I've settled on this here in the last couple of months, that even in the Opening two pages of scripture, we see the pattern of God approaching us with life, life forever, as a gift, not as a reward. The tree of life did not come later. Hey, if you, if you eat of these trees and you avoid this tree, then I will give you, you, I'll make accessible to you the tree of life. The tree of life was given immediately. Let's, let's jump to a verse one chapter later, Genesis 3.15. So God has found Adam and Eve, humans, hiding. This is what we do. We hide just like I cheated in grad school on those two exams, theology exams about God. God 
God's love, how to be a good pastor. You know, that's what these exams are about, and I'm cheating. And I come home, and my first couple years, I was in a church plant. Uh, I, I, I was involved in this church that was in Sterling, and lingering behind everything that I said and did as a young pastor was this guilt. I feel like I've got to earn God. I've got to do I've got to be clean enough, long enough. I've got to reverse this long enough so that God can be pleased with me again. It's it's just in our nature. There's something that whispers to us. God's not happy with you, and you've got to earn the reward. Life, the tree of life, the forgiveness, the good, knowing God, participating in the most exciting idea on earth... It, it's yours, but it's yours when you've earned it. And so God finds humans hiding in the garden. Adam blames Eve. He blames the woman. She blames the serpent, this force, this, this entity or force of evil. And so God is pronouncing judgment on the serpent, on this evil. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and her seed, her seed, capital S seed, this is like this, wait a minute, her seed, not just her ancestors, but one particular. In fact, God's very specific here. The Father speaks specifically about Jesus when he says, and he, the woman's seed, will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. An obvious inference to the cross and specifically to Roman crucifixion when The nail is pierced through the front of the foot and out the back of the heel. Essentially completing the work of taking all of our sin, all of our wrong choosing, all of our need to be in control, our wanting to determine what's good and what's evil, what's right in our eyes and what's wrong in our eyes, what's right for our neighbor or what's wrong or what deserves judgment. That was never God's intention. Only God sits in that seat. And when we tried to sit in that seat, it just broke this planet. It broke this universe. And Jesus bore all of that. He took all of that ugly and brokenness on himself on the cross. And it's interesting, it's fascinating to me that in Genesis 3, already the story of Jesus is beginning to unfold. Galatians, let's jump all the way. We're we're going from extremes here. Genesis 3, we're going to go and look at just one thing that Paul says. The Apostle Paul. Deep in the New Testament, Paul said, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to Abraham's seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed is what God said to Abraham, meaning one person who is Christ. The extreme beginning of Scripture to late in the New Testament, we see this story all emerging together that Jesus would end up being our tree of life, the new tree of life. And again, he's not a reward that you earn. His love, whatever it is from your past, whatever that thing is that lingers, it lingered in me for about two years, this haunting guilt. Just whispering, always trying to remind me, oh, you're trying to be a pastor. You cheated on your God exam, and you did it twice. That voice just kept haunting me and haunting me. 
And I kept trying to earn and earn God's favor back. When I was journaling about this, I just wrote, the tree of life at creation was a gift to us. It was not earned after eating so many types of fruit or obeying all the rules. It was given to humans at the very beginning. It was not a reward. There was nothing we did to deserve it or earn it in the creation process, in the early story of God. It was God's love and gift to us that we would live forever. That was his plan in the beginning. And we screwed it up and took control away from him and we wreaked havoc. And so the cross became the second tree of life. Again, not a reward, but a free gift. And if you ask, well, why didn't, why didn't God just let us eat of the tree of life and make everything? Because we would have, our selfishness and need for control had not been dealt with. And so we essentially would have been eating this, this life of Jesus that causes us to be whole or live forever, and yet in a broken, destructive state. And so God says, hang on. Don't eat of that tree. I don't want you to live in a destructed state of mind forever. I'm going to take the pain. I'm going to take the ugly, the selfish choosing, your need for control. I've got a video here. This is a Bible project video. It's about four, four and a half, five minutes long. And it just, I think, summarizes really well. This is a, a, a good way to end this uh, topic, and then I've got a few questions for you when we finish this. Let's watch together. My favorite part of this video is the end with us participating. We get, we get to eat of this tree of life, a gift to us, and we get to participate in the propagation of life all around us to neighbors who need a friend, to hurting situations. Okay, so I'm going to invite our band to come close us today with a couple of worship songs. And instead of watching them come up on stage, just listen to my final couple of things here. At the top of our mobile app, the Dulles Church mobile app, we have our series graphic. If you click that, you'll have access this week to this video again. You can rewatch it. I really encourage you to take this, the content of this video in at least one more time this week. And then below that is a questionnaire. And a lot of you are participating this summer in the questions that we're asking about the most exciting idea on earth, the, the building of God's church. And here are the questions this week. I'm just going to tease them here for you. I'd love for you to take some time, reflectively, as part of your time with God this week, answering these questions. The first one is, why do so many people see God as coming close primarily to punish? Why? Why, why is that our concept as humans, that God approaches us to punish? The second question, instead of a reward... How is God revealing his gift of good and beauty and life to you? And if you can't, if you're not sure, or you haven't, con just give, give time to this. Just sit quietly with coffee and allow God to draw that answer out of you. Third question, if full whole life is a choice, will you give up control to the tree, to the seed of life, to have wholeness? And if yes, what do you need to, uh, to sur surrender control of?
Take time, click the top of our mobile app this week, and make this part of your God time. You're interacting with him this week. God, thank you for the invitation to be part of, not attend, not to just come and sit and listen to someone talk about you, but we get to be part of the most exciting force and movement on earth, your church. And it's not in earning or trying to erase something from our past or trying to prove to you that we're right now or we, we no longer are choosing selfishness. It, it's, it's a free gift. It's a total, complete gift of your love. So may we accept your love. Not as a reward, but as a gift. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. And now we celebrate you. Let's stand together as we worship. Love you guys a lot.